Well, hey, thank you for coming tonight. We've got, uh, I want to just introduce the, uh, the eight visions of chapters one through six. I've got the list written down there. There's a couple ways of looking at them. I, before we go through that first vision in detail, I, I kind of want to see how, what you think of at least the outline here. The, the eight visions of Zechariah, chapter one through six, the book's two parts. The first part's the visions, and then verses, or chapter seven through 14 at the end of the book is just talking about some more prophetic or historical information, actually eschatological. Uh, the eight visions are written down there. We mentioned them last week. Uh, the first one is a man among the myrtle trees. So I'll do this. One, two, three. Ooh, I better get them closer than that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight visions. They're all taking place... Uh, on uh, February 15th, 519, which is uh, two months, yeah, two months, three months after uh, Zechariah's opening vision, which is two months after Haggai's last vision. So these are coming right after Haggai encouraged him to build the temple. And uh, they're going to deal with, well, we'll look at these things as we go through them. Uh, we've got a man among the myrtle trees. We'll just say man and the myrtle trees. We've got four horn cutters that are coming. Uh, we've got the measuring line. Followed by the garments for the high priest. High priest garments. Then uh, a golden lampstand. I'll just say two lampstands, which are talking about Zechariah and Joshua. A flying scroll. And that's got a, a curse written on it. A woman in a basket who was taken away, flown away. And then finally four chariots chariots those are the four visions we'll read through I, I want to just read straight through them uh, tonight uh, one way of looking at this and I'm going to read through them and you can kind of listen to them uh, we'll come back through each of them and break them down but one through three can be said one way of looking at those are they are focused on on Judah and Judah's return from captivity they're dealing with Judah right then and there in, in five, 519 uh, B.C. when they've come back from captivity. Uh, four and five are focused on the anointed leadership. I'm going to write anointed because that's... But not like the anointed one, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, but the anointed, the, the high priest and uh, Zerubbabel, the leadership of Judah at that time. And then 6, 7, and 8 are focused on wickedness or the seat of wickedness and the removal. Uh, sin, wickedness, more like the cosmos, the world system. Not a particular sin, but the whole climate. Uh, the, uh, you could say it's, it's uh, Babylon. It's, it's the world system. It's Satan's reign. It's... It's the evil. It's, it's the wickedness that's going to be removed. So that's 
We'll read through those and you can see this is about the capt- captives that have just returned, their leadership, and the wickedness that has come back with them or that is in them because they are part of the world. Another way of looking at this is, uh, is the, a pattern, uh, like when you look at literature, how things are written, it goes like it works in and out in a circle. This would be like an A, a B, a C, a D, a D, a C, a B, and A. In other words, there's a circle here. These two go together. And then the C's go together. The B's go together. And the A's go together. And that would be this way. Visions 1 and 8. This one, A and 1 and 8 are a universal perspective and an omniscient uh, Lord. The Lord is looking at or controlling the whole world. So the man in the myrtle trees is giving directions for the whole world. And the four chariots is going to be also a universal concept of God controlling all. Uh, Vision 2 and 7 are talking about international matters and Judah's relationships. So this are dealing with the nations, international and the nations here, and Judah's position with those nations. Uh, uh, Chapter, visions 3 and 6 are national issues to Judah. This is a national issue. Three and six is a national issue. This measuring line, they're going to measure Jerusalem because the, the walls need to expand. It's, it's, it's national. And the flying scroll is a curse that's over the nation because of the wickedness they brought back with them. It needs to be removed. That fits into this. And then finally, uh, four and five is these two go together. And it's pretty clear. This is the high priest. And this is the high priest Joshua and Zechariah are the two lampstands. And that's dealing with the temple and the leadership of, of the nation. And so there's, there's a pattern there that they're put together. And remember, these are all visions that Zechariah has on one night. Uh, they're uh, not so much, you know, you could say dreams because that God uses dreams. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel had a dream. Jacob had a dream. Uh, but yet it's, it's more than a dream because he's interacting. He's, he's a member in the dream. He's talking. It's, it's, he's gone somewhere. He's seeing something. And that takes place too. Jacob could see and participate in the dream. Uh, you think of Abraham being with the Lord and seeing, uh, being put into a deep sleep and having a, a, a vision. Uh, but he was more of a non-participant as much as observing. Uh, some commentators in the past you know as they're trying to analyze this they talk, try to decide if if a person can actually have eight meaningful dreams in one night of sleep and they've done studies and that they'd say you know the most you could probably have is six or seven uh and this is like out of the realm of real realistic as well of course it is because it's the lord giving you eight visions in one night so that's n- not a problem i don't think i think they're much more than just you know having dreams one night. He gets up in the morning and writes down <coughs> all of his dreams. <coughs> I think, of course, they're meaningful dreams uh, that the Lord has given to him. And they are in this order. They're, they're, it's interesting. They're all one night. They're all bunched together. So not only should we look at them as individual visions or dreams, uh, but because they're coming one right after the other, they're, they're, they're addressing something. And they're not just 
uh, for Zechariah. They're for Zechariah's people. Again, in 519, coming back from the captivity. So we kind of know the, the time that they're being given or the, the time frame and the purpose for which they've been given. Uh, so let's read through them uh, right now. And then we'll come back next week and start. I, you know, it, it sounds like a lot going through six chapters, but I think we'll, you know, if I can go through them without stopping making comments uh, too much, we can see this. Uh, this first uh, one, the man among the myrtle trees, uh, one thing that we'll clarify and get into this and you can start thinking about it is how many people are involved in this, as far, you know, persons, angels, man, uh, the angel of the Lord, the Lord. You're going to see... Uh, a man, you're gonna uh, among the myrtle trees. You're gonna see an angel talking to Zechariah. You're going to hear the angel of the Lord, and I'm gonna end up saying the the man among the myrtle trees is the same as the angel of the Lord who's among the myrtle trees. Uh, and here, so here we go. This is the first of these, and this would talk about Judah, and talking about uh, a, a universal. Omniscience and omnipotence over the the world by the Lord. Okay, chapter one, verse seven. On the twenty fourth day of the eleventh month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Idu. During the night, I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. So you see there's a man with a red horse. Now he's standing among the myrtle trees. So he's on the horse. Now he's standing beside the horse, or it appears. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. Now there weren't like four horses or three horses. It seems like a military made up riding horses that were red, reddish brown, and white horses. That's the NIV. Brown in the NIV, but it's red, reddish brown, white horses. I asked. What are these, my Lord? So now he's asking uh, an angel. Now he sees a man, but he's going to talk to an angel. So that, that, that's two different things. You've got a man standing amongst other horses, a man with a horse standing among other horses, with apparently have riders on him. The angel who was talking with me, and this angel is going to appear uh, several times, not just here, but throughout these visions. It's just like Daniel had an interpreting angel or uh, Ezekiel has an interpreting angel. Uh, this is going to be the angel that's speaking to Zechariah throughout these pages. The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Oh, also John had an interpreting angel that he was going through showing him things. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has, has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees. So it appears there's the man among the myrtle trees and the angel of the Lord standing among the myrtle trees, which you've got to consider they are the same person, uh, yeah, potentially. We are, we, they, they, now that they come back riding their horses, they come back and report to the angel of the Lord, who's their commander, uh, who apparently is also on his own horse. Or has gotten off of his horse. We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty. So now you've got the angel of the Lord, which would be the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, the, the Word, 
talking to the Father, Lord Almighty. And again, that's then the angel of Yahweh said, Yahweh Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So clearly at the end of the 70-year period. So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the, the angel of the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who was giving directions to Zechariah. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So you can see there, uh, the angel of the Lord says something to the Lord Almighty. And then the angel of the Lord speaks to the angel who's going to speak to Zechariah. And the angel speaks to Zechariah saying, this is what the Lord Almighty has said. So you've got the Father being spoken to by the Son. The Father speaking to the Son who talks to the Son, talks to the angel who talks to Zechariah. If I'm putting this together correctly. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations that feel secure or angry with a great anger. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'll return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Again, the, 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 the measuring line would indicate being measured, you know, a measuring for building. Construction will take place. Um, I will point this out as we go by. Myrtle trees, we'll talk about that more next week, appear to be, the best reference is they're a, about a seven to eight foot evergreen brush, but it is, it is what they would use to make their booths or shelters for the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a remembrance of when they dwelt together with the Lord, or the Lord dwelt with them. Uh, it's, it's, the Feast of Tabernacles is a, a celebration that recognizes the Lord dwelling with them, looking into the past in the wilderness, but also looking into the future when the Lord returns and lives in Jerusalem. So it's interesting right here, they're among myrtle trees, which are seven, eight foot evergreen brushes, and uh, the message is, uh, pro, uh, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. So the idea of the Lord living with them, again, he's coming back, and he's going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in real time with them, talking about 519 B.C. Uh, verse 17, proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. The towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Uh, and he put that in hand to hand with Haggai's prophecy uh, of from this day forth, blessing will come. And that was said in the fall of 520. Now Zechariah saying, my towns again will flow with prosperity. So you got 520 fall and 519, you know, in February. Uh, the same message that God is returning. It's given the people confidence at this point right here. Uh, he's talking about Judah, but also talking about They've gone throughout the whole world, or at least the Persian world, to consider. Okay, that's the first one. The second vision, Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. And again, horns would refer to nations or empires. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these? He answered me, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. 
Uh, now, usually you think of four empires, you think of uh, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Well, you can't count Rome and Greece because they haven't arrived yet. Uh, it could be Persia uh, because they're ruling, and it could be Babylon. But it also mentions, uh, so that'd be two, but it mentions the scattering of Israel. And if they're talking about Judah in the south and Israel in the north, that would have to be the Assyrians. So these are the, f- the, the horns, and there's four of them, that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Uh, so they're, na- they're nations, empires. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, what are these coming to do? And if, if the images here, they're walking up, they're, they're the construction crew. They're walking up, got hard hats on, they've got you know chainsaws or something. He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise his head but the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. So that again, that's dealing with Judah, but the four horn cutters are coming to cut those nations down, at least cutting down Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. Uh, I mean, are you going to you know, do you count Greece or, or do you go back and count Egypt before? If it's Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome... The two before them would be the Assyrians and the Egyptians. Those would be the, the six empires. So this plays, this, these, these six nations play into Revelation because the seventh great nation is going to be the Antichrist nation or the empire. So those are your seven. You start with Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then a kingdom that is yet to come, the Antichrist kingdom. And so when you start seeing a beast with uh, seven heads and seven crowns on his head, that's, that's those empires. And it's one, the final beast is going to accumulate all that power all the way back to Egypt, Assyria, all the empires that have been used by God to rule history. Uh, but nonetheless, at this point, they're coming to cut down four of those. So again, unless you count Greece and Rome, you're going to have to go back four and go Persia, Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt uh, of those. Again, we'll talk more about that as we go into that. Uh, they've come to cut them down or terrify them. So God is right here. Uh, that is the two B's that go together. That fits in with uh, international matters and Judah's relationship. So this is international and how Judah's relating. This is with Judah. This is the two on the outside. The furthest ones are uh, overseeing all the nations. Now it's the nations that inter- are interacting with Judah. And that would be, uh, if you're looking at the B here, and we got another B coming, but they're all, so far, these first three are all with Jerusalem or Judah. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now, again, when we see man here, uh, you, can, you, know, you can think of a, a man, a human, or a lot of times that just means it's someone that looks like a man in this vision. It's an angel actually doing the work. Uh, so we can watch it as this goes. But there's a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. So in this vision, he turns around and sees a man going out to measure. Go, what, what do you measure? I'm measuring Jerusalem to see how, how wide and how long it is. Now the angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man. Jerusalem will be a city without walls. In other words, he's going out to measure it, 
And if this young man is the one with the tape, run out and tell him, no, we're not going to put up any walls. It's just going to keep spreading out. You can't build walls fast enough. Run and tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within it. So in other words, during this next phase, you can't stop and worry about building a wall to protect it. You've got to worry about just keep coming and filling up and building around the city, filling up the land, uh, because I'll protect you during this time. I will be the wall. Now when that would end would be during nehemiah's time when nehemiah comes back and realizes there's no wall built so this prophecy would have like some kind of a timing between 519 and you know 458 or 446 when nehemiah 445 when nehemiah comes that's when nehemiah comes and says we need a wall but jerusalem's been spreading out during this time period without a wall and the angels being angel is running and telling that man that's doing the measuring don't worry about a wall god's going to take care of the protection right now so again that's talking about judah the city's going to grow but you don't need to worry about a wall the protection will be there by 445 we can see that nehemiah comes and builds the wall and that fits into daniel's prophecy uh, the, from the issue of the decree to restore and rebuild jerusalem until the anointed one comes and again we talked about this date 445 maybe being one of that target date where that countdown begins they've been issued to come back and occupy you know build the temple Cyrus has come back, you know, reoccupy the province of Judah. But it wasn't until 445 where it's like, okay, we need to get the wall built. And there's a, a decree that they can go ahead and do it. In fact, they'd been put on hold. There'd been some opposition. But in 445, that opposition is removed. Another decree has come. You've got Cyrus's or, original decree. But then you've got 445, Artaxerxes' decree, which maybe is and probably is when you try to figure it out. That's the decree that Daniel was referring to from the issuing of the decree to restore and re rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes. There's going to be 483 years, or how would you say that? Uh, 63 sevens. 70 sevens, 63 sevens. Is that right? Okay. Uh, The, verse 6, come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, talking to people, keep coming back from Babylon captivity. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, O Zion, escape, you who live in the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After he has honored me and has sent me against the nations uh, that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. In other words, they messed with you, I'm bringing you back, now I'm going to punish them. I will sure, and this is what Habakkuk was told, everyone to Jeremiah, Isaiah, they all prophesied Babylon would be punished, but they also prophesied Babylon is going to be used as a tool in their state of rebellion against the Lord to actually destroy the Lord's people because the Lord's people have rebelled against him. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will punish, uh, will plunder them again the people that they've conquered god is going to raise them up within their country their empire to come against them and throw them down then you will know that the lord almighty has sent me shout and be glad O daughter of zion for i am coming and i will live among you declares the lord once again dwelling among them feast of tabernacles many nations will be joined with me Excuse me, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. 
I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. It seems right there, and we'll talk about it more when we get there, that right those, those verses seem to like maybe project into the future where uh, the, all the nations are joining with them. Uh, the Lord choosing Judah as his portion compared to him sending the, giving the nations to the sons of God and choosing Israel as his portion out of Deuteronomy. And... Uh, you know, he's roused himself from his holy dwelling, either at this time period, which he has, or referring to the future. So those are the first three, and they're dealing with Judah, or they're dealing with uh, the universal. They're dealing with B, going with the B down here, with uh, international matters and Judah, or in this case, specifically with Jerusalem and what's going on in, in Judah. Now we come to the middle two uh, visions. That would be uh, 4 and 5 or chapter 3. And both chapter 3 and chapter 4 are going to be, the, e- either way, they all fit, they both fit here in the center. They're talking about the anointed leadership, which would be Jude, uh, Joshua the high priest, and then the second one is Joshua and Zerubbabel. And D right here, they're talking about uh, the, in the center, is going to be the temple that's been rebuilt, and the leadership of the temple. So here's uh, the fourth vision. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Again, there's, that's the second member of the Trinity. Now we're in heaven, apparently, or in, in the presence of the Lord in, in his sanctuary. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Again, this, this again, combined with ver- chap- uh, books like Job, or Jesus telling Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. It doesn't give you this, you know, in our minds we've got this, this chasm between Satan and the Lord. And they're like, you know, light years apart. Or they're, you know, like as far apart as the east is from the west. But whenever you see uh, many of these cases where the Lord is in a situation, Satan is right there with him. Satan was in the garden of Eden. Satan, as soon as Jesus was baptized, the Lord was led out and, and met Satan. The first thing, the first interaction the Messiah has after his anointing is with Satan. And so Job, all the angels went to the Lord and Satan was also there. So when all the angels are in the presence of the Lord, Satan is there. Uh, someone just emailed me right before I came and asked a question or text message. Uh, asked, you know, how do you explain, was it 1 Kings 22, how do you explain the Lord sending an evil spirit? Uh, well, I, I, did, I said I don't have. A t- I didn't say I didn't have time, but I said I got to answer fast. I got to go to class. But that's you know, even in Second Thessalonians, it says the Lord will send a great delusion. Uh, you've got the Lord allowing Satan to come to Job. You've got Peter, uh, Jesus telling Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. He didn't say, but I told him not, don't touch you. No, I, he asked. I said, sure, go ahead. See what you can shake out of these people. So in the, the, the biblical concept here is Yahweh is in charge, but Saint is never too far away from his control or being used as his puppet. Or Saint is constantly, uh, well, in this case, accusing Joshua. 
And probably, again, again, I don't want to start teaching this whole thing, but probably this right here, in the spiritual situation, uh, Satan wants to count Israel or Judah, Jerusalem, the priesthood of Levi or Aaron, down and out. They've, they've been judged. They've been re- removed. They can't come back. And so the Lord is starting to reuse the people that he's judged. And Satan's up there to bring up the point, hey, they, they're unqualified. Uh, the high priest standing for the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So this would almost be a court case. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Now, once again, you've got the angel of the Lord apparently defending Joshua and his cause, Satan accusing him, but both the angel of the Lord and Satan standing before the Father, Yahweh, uh, presenting their cases. And so I'll read it again. The angel of the Lord said to Satan, standing at his right side to accuse him, Excuse me, I read that. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. In other words, I have made a choice. This is my doing, and I'm rebuking you based on this. This is the same thing in the book of Jude, where Michael rebukes Satan not by bringing an accusation against him, saying, you know, you dirty, foul, evil spirit. He just simply says, the Lord rebuke you. You are out of line from God's will. Not, not bringing an accusation against Satan, but simply saying, the Lord's plan, the Lord's will, the Lord's word rebukes you. Uh, he has chosen Jerusalem. Uh, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Indeed, he is a burning stick. He was in the fire, was in the place of judgment, which goes right back to Jude again, talking about uh, minister to some as if they were uh, sticks, smoldering branches taken out of the fire. And this is a classic case. He was being judged, was taken out of the fire. Now Joshua is dressed in filthy clothes. I mean, imagine he's a burning stick snatched from the fire. In that case, he's charred, he's burnt, smells like smoke. Uh, that's one image. Now Joshua's dressed in filthy clothes. And these clothes are filthy in the sense of, that means human waste. I've used the example many times in this verse. Like a porta potty, he got tipped upside down on him. It's like the, covered in filth. Uh, as he stood before the angel, the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin and will put rich garments on you. So exchanging his filthy garments for clean or his sin for uh, rich garments or righteousness of Christ or to that effect. Then I says, Put a clean turban on his head. Now notice, then I said. Now Zechariah is joining in and Zechariah says, in the NIV, put a clean turban on his head, and the priest would wear a hat, a turban. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Uh, there's no more mention of Satan here. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Now, who's standing there? You've got angels or leaders, the heavenly consul. You'll have a place right here because the priest is going to be bringing prayers and offerings and intercessions. You'll have a place to come and pray right here in front of the Lord. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you. You are men symbolic of things to come. Now again, they're, they're again, just a, we talk about in Hebrews, they were the priesthood, but there is a greater priesthood. And so even here, they're being told, you've got a place at the table in the heavenly councils, but understand, even here, you're a symbol of things yet to come. That's right here in, in Zechariah, and it's picked up in Hebrews. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. Now we're talking about the Messiah. We'll get into more details when we get here. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Now that's not going to take place in 519 or anywhere on this particular time chart. That's going to be taking place when the fulfillment, what, what Joshua is symbolic of, when that reality comes, I'll be able to remove in one day the sin of the land. Uh, in that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under the, his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. In other words, now we're talking again, projecting this out into the kingdom. So uh, that's the establishment of the priesthood, which would be encouragement. Any kind of judgment that's been spoken to them, uh, they know individually as a, a group of people, and the nation knows, according to this vision, that Joshua is the high priest. God's brought them back. They've been accused in heaven, but they've been justified by the Lord's declaration. But even that is symbolic of something yet to come. And, and Zechariah is going to talk about the symbolism of the priesthood, and eventually he's going to talk about uh, the, the sim- symbolism of Zerubbabel. So here we go, chapter 4. Again, in the sense, this, these are both in, in this outline here. The first three were about Judah. The middle two are about the anointed leadership. The last three are about wickedness. Over here, we're comparing the first and last with the oversight of the Lord over all the world, international relationships and Judah being involved. Here is just Jerusalem and God's plan for Jerusalem. Now we're talking right here in the center about the leadership in the temple and in Jerusalem. This is that center, along with the center ones. Then the angel who talked with me returned and awakened me. Looked like he dozed off. Maybe gave him a break. We're going to take a 15-minute break. You've had uh, four visions. We've got four more to go. Let's go ahead and take a break here. Now he wakes him up. I added that part. I'm not sure. As a man is awakened from his sleep. So he was definitely sleeping. And an angel woke him up and said, we're going back to the visions. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, now, this is uh, a kind of complicated uh, it, when you read it. And you wonder as you read this, does this play over into Revelation when you see something similar to this? So again, you can't, whenever you look at Revelation, you always want to look back into the Old Testament to see if there's a carryover of the imagery. Both because it's the Lord talking about you know, future events and also John, who's writing it, would be familiar with the Old Testament. I see a, a solid gold lampstand 
with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Basically, he sees a menorah with seven branches and a lamp sitting on each of the seven branches. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. So there's a bowl with oil in it with straws or channels where the oil would come out of the bowl, come down to each of the lamps so that the, if the bowl is full, the lamps are filled with oil. So there are seven lamps burning, channels coming down with this bowl that is full of oil. But now, what's feeding oil into the bowl? Uh, I asked the angel, uh, okay, uh, verse 3. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left. So now you've got a bowl feeding oil into seven lamps on the menorah or the lamp stand. But now on each side of the bowl is two olive trees feeding oil continuously into the bowl. So what you've got is an eternal flow of anointing oil or oil for this, uh, this lamp stand. Now is, is this lamp stand in the temple? Is this lampstand God's plan? Is this what, whatever this lampstand is? The ideal is these two trees are providing the, the anointing that is on these, or the oil that is in these two trees is feeding the bowl, which is feeding the seven lamps. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. See, that first, the, vi- the vi- vision before was about the high priest. This is now about Zerubbabel. So it's not going to be, you're not going to do your job by might or power, but you're going to do it because of my spirit, which is compared to the oil in this vision. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You'll become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. The idea here is Zerubbabel has got a job of, uh, well, they're still in the process of building the temple. I mean, that's what, Haggai got them back to working on it. So this, you know, again, it's very close to Haggai's prophecies. Zerubbabel has been told, you know, just was told in December, on December 18th, two months before this, you are that signet ring. You are either very close to the Lord and He will not take you off, or you are the signet ring that you can just, whatever you do, God is signing the, the paperwork. What you just get going, God's just going to give you the ring. You just stamp, the, just st- give, give your stamp of approval on all your projects. Well, now He's being told, you are anointed by the Spirit of God, and there's nothing that will stand in your way. And what He's looking at here is a mountain. Now, this mighty mountain could be an obstacle. It couldn't be building the temple. It could be rebuilding Jerusalem. It may include Mount Moriah as Zechariah is looking at this. Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? It's, and he says it's almost like in a mocking sense. What are you, O mighty mountain, whatever this mighty mountain would be? The opposition from you know the Samaritans, the Persian Empire, whatever it is, the workload. Before Zerubbabel, you'll become level ground. He's looking at having to climb this mighty mountain. He's not going to climb the mighty mountain. He's going to just plow right through it and remove the mountain. It's going to be like it's not even there. So if you're looking at a mighty mountain, Zerubbabel, understand, with this anointing, that mighty mountain is flat, and you're going to walk right over it. Then you've got to wonder, uh, 
if you have faith, and you can say this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, is Jesus making connection with this idea of with you've got faith if you're called to do something. Again, not that you get to pick anything you want to. I can just move mountains, but you've been called to do something, and you're standing into a face of an opposition. It's like if God's called you and you understand that, just say to this mountain, get out of the way because I'm on flat ground. I've been called to the Lord. I'm going this way, and nothing's going to stop me. Yeah, but look at this. But I know what God's called me to do. I'm going straight through this. So again, Jesus may be picking up on this. I don't want to read into Jesus' words, but you just see mountains being removed, and you've got to at least consider, uh, is he referring to this? And it kind of gives you a, a framework of what kind of mountains are being removed. I just run around and move mountains. I've got faith. I can just say, watch this, and I start moving mountains and buildings, demonstrating how much faith I've got. Well, that's ridiculous. But if God's called you to something, and you know you're called to it, uh, and you like Zerubbabel, you, you're going to do this, it's like, don't worry about the opposition. Just start walking in faith, knowing that God's called you to do it, and that mountain will become level, or that mountain will be cast into the sea, and you'll be able to get it done. Um, again, that comes with knowing the truth. What are you, almighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You'll become level ground. Then he'll bring out the capstone, and the capstone would be the final stone that goes on the building, which probably would be the capstone of the temple. Then he'll bring out the capstone of shouts of, God bless it, God bless it, they're celebrating. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. That was way back here, 536. He's laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. And that's 516. This is uh, 519, so they're, they're three years away from completing it. So he laid the foundation, and he's going to be the same one who sets the capstone on it because he's the one who God anointed to do it. Now, Bob can't do it, and Jim over here can't do it, but Zachary, Zerubbabel, he can do it because God's anointed him. Bob can't say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea because God didn't tell Bob to say that or Joe or you just don't have a choice. But Zerubbabel, he began it because God anointed him and he's going to finish it. It's going to be like a level ground project for him. Uh, the, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. So he began it in 536. He'll complete it in 516. And we're talking right now february of 519 bc then you will know that the lord almighty has sent me to you then when you see this then you'll know zacharias saying to zerubbabel when you complete it you'll know that i am a prophet because i told you because you've got to think zerubbabel is not just like going through his day like oh everything's gonna be fine i've got this under control you're looking at being under the persian occupation you've got an opposition in the land and you've just got a prophet haggai just told you to get started building it you've neglected it for 20 years you're just like okay i can do this maybe you're up and working but you still realize this is an insurmountable task zachariah says when you put that capstone on then you'll know i'm a prophet that god sent me to tell you his word and you are the man for this hour uh, then, very similar to Haggai's second message, when he told them, this looks like nothing to you, but this is bigger than you thought. He picks this up right here, Zechariah, just a few months later. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. It's that same discouragement. This doesn't look like much. Wait, when they see you up here working, they're going to get behind you and get this thing done. 
These seven <coughs> are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Again, that's talking about those seven lampstands. Then, again, you look into Revelation, you also see the seven lamps, the seven lights, the seven eyes. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees, the one on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches? Again, I don't know why it says again, meaning what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Is that, uh, is the angel just turned around, looked at him and kind of rolled his eyes at him like, what? You asking me that again? I don't, I'm not, not sure what happened there. Uh, again, I asked him, yeah, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord. Now, he had asked twice, and then he almost gets a rebuke, it appears, in the English. No, my Lord, I, I, I don't know. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. These are the two that are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. No, I, okay, I, 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 it's 2022, I still, who are the two? Well, I, I think the, the first place you go is the two are Joshua and Zerubbabel to serve the Lord of all the earth at this time in history. Now you can start branching it out, well, that's, it's the Gentile world, and it's, the, it's the, or the, the Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament, it's the Gentile world and the Jewish world, it's, it's Enoch and Elijah, it's the two witnesses, uh, okay, now you're bringing stuff in. It's like a, a, like a garage sale now of ideas. I think you've got to go with this. These are the two who are anointed, uh, and that would be Joshua the high priest and Zechariah, and both of them are symbols of things yet to come, both talking about Jesus. So we'll talk more about that and get some other options on that. Okay, now that is the two center ones, the anointed ones or doing the, the leadership of Jerusalem. Now the last three are going to deal with wickedness, and they're going to be just the reverse of this. They're going to go with wickedness in Jerusalem, wickedness in the nations as Judah deals with the wickedness in the nations as they're interacting, and overall the whole universal scene of God. So this would be Judah and wickedness, wickedness in the nations with Judah being involved, and this is Got the overseeing God, uh, God overseeing the whole picture. So this, obviously, this last one compares with this first one of overseeing all of the world. This one compares with this one, the horn cutters cutting down those who had oppressed Judah. This is now the evil that was oppressing Judah is going to be removed. This is measuring line of Judah, what Judah is going to be. And this is now, again, just like there's a measuring line in Jerusalem, there's this flying scroll in Jerusalem or Judah. Here's chapter 5. I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. Okay, and that's very, very large, and it's flying. It's like a, a sheet flying in the air. And he said to me, this is the curse of that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished, and according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. So if you are coming back to this land, and you're coming back to steal from this land, 
or you're coming back with a false intention of kind of coming in with your own plan and acting deceptively in this land, realize you are under a curse that's flying over this land looking for a place to land, and the curse is going to land on you. So if you come back to Jerusalem and you're coming here to steal or to deceive for your own gain, understand there's a curse looking to come down on you. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. I will remain in his house and destroy it, both its timbers and its stones. In other words, that's warning Israel. We're here to build the temple. We're here to rebuild Jerusalem and Judah and get back in the purpose of God. If you are in this crowd, if you're in this group, and you've come with false intent, or you've come to steal and make your own profits because of the situation, understand, God has sent a flying curse out, a big scroll that's looking for a place to land, and it will land in your house, destroy you, destroy your house, and you'll end up with nothing. Consider yourself warned. We want good intentions here. Man can't see the heart. We only see the outward. But God is looking on the heart, and he will curse you and, and eliminate you from this. And that's right here. Uh, just like the measuring line was with Jerusalem, the flying scroll is with Jerusalem and the people there. Now, continuing with wickedness, then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, Look up and see what this is that is appearing. I asked, What is it? He replied, it is a measuring basket. And he added, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. It would be like some kind of a measuring basket, a wicker basket. Maybe it's going to measure grain, uh, you know, for flour or something. Uh, And what's in there, it's carrying the iniquity or the sin of the people. Or maybe those that have, they, they, they now say, oh, Yes, that's me. I came with evil intent, or I have been trying to make my own profit here, and I'm not interested in the temple. I'm interested in me starting my own business. And now maybe they've confessed it, but now right here, this is the iniquity. It's in this basket. Again, Zechariah is, and I haven't mentioned it, but Zechariah is big on confession. This whole book is going to be about confession of getting back in line. Haggai, because they are, remember, they're coming out of sin, not just the nation you know the forefathers sin but they have returned and they have come back and have neglected their responsibility of building the temple for the last 20 years so they themselves have got sin and false intended they've got houses that are paneled they got nice living condition they've got their own businesses started but they've neglected the word of god so there's sin to be confessed just their forefathers sin as a nation but also we need some improvement here also so uh Uh, This is, again, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. And again, what's in that basket? It's the iniquity of the people. It's the sin. Well, now it's seen as a woman that's in the basket, and it's covered up with a lead lid. The lead meaning that's not what you put over a basket. It's too heavy. It would crush the basket. But they're trying to make sure this thing is sealed tight. We would say... It's got a sealed Tupperware lid on it or something. But a lead lid is their, you know, their sign of Tupperware or whatever. Not really, but as far as being unable to escape. He said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket, giving the impression she was trying. They lift the lid up. You see this? And she's trying to crawl up out of there, pushes her back down in, and pushed the lead cover down over its mouth. 
Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had the, now the women, but they're not women, women. They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. So it appears some kind of uh, you know, uh, an angelic being, spiritual being possibly. The iniquity shoved down, and then these two stork-like women, angelic beings pick up the basket. They lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. They begin flying with it. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, to the country of Babylonia. They're taking it back to Babylon. This is Babylonian thinking, sending it back. To build a house for it. Now, when you build a house for something like this, that would probably mean a temple, a shrine. They're going to they're take it back to where it is honored. They're going to take it back to where it is worshipped. Potentially, this woman in this basket is going to have a house and it's going to grow and become the woman in Revelation. Uh, the, be- the woman riding the beast, potentially. I mean, meaning this may be an infant seed of what's coming in Revelation. When it is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. So when the shrine is ready, the house is ready, the temple is ready, there the basket will be set in place. It will be worshipped and honored, and apparently it will grow. It doesn't say it in here, but if we look at history, it's not just going to sit there, it's maybe going to grow. Okay, that's now the sin of the people being removed and taken back to Babylon. Uh, It's removed from Israel, that attitude, but it's going to be put back in Babylon where it's going to be honored and recognized. Um, chapter 6, the eighth vision, which would again be uh, wickedness of the last three. But as we go for A to A, it's going to be God's oversight, universal oversight of the entire world, especially the Persian world. I looked up again, the last vision for the day, last vision for the night for us and for Zechariah. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains. Mountains of bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment in the, in the temple. Bronze items were always used for judgment or confessing sin, burning all offerings. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled. All of them powerful. So it appears at least two horses were pulling each of the chariots coming out from between these two bronze mountains. Of course, Zechariah is like, always like all of us i asked the angel who was speaking to me what are these my lord the angel answered me these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the lord of the whole world again the lord of the whole world these are his chariots and his horses going out the one with the black horses is going to the north country the one with the white horses towards the west the one with the dappled horses towards the south Um, when the powerful horses went out they were straining to go throughout the earth again imagine a horse pulling a chariot a horse running with the chariot and a horse straining as they're running with the chariot sprinting together with the the one the the one they're with Uh, and he said go throughout the earth so they went throughout the earth then he called me, look, those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. 
Now, that would appear that they're going out, they're being sent out, coming from bronze. They're coming out from the place of judgment, coming out from the presence of God, that he's sending these out with judgment. And it's God's judgment rushing out, straining to go out. And this right here, as we began right here, the very first right here, the man among the myrtle trees, it's like, how much longer must we wait? All these things take place in the last vision. Finally, judgment is coming out because here, the land is at peace. It's like that peace. We don't want peace. The Persian Empire was oppressing and had everything under control. Although there's revolts rising up right here, it's like, okay, send these out. We need to take down this empire and move history along. And that's, again, just like uh, Haggai, uh, the shaking, the empires that was being shaken, God was going to send out some shaking, and the Greeks were going to rise, and judgment was going out to the north. And when that happened, it says, my, my spirit, then he, then he called me, look, those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. Judgment has come, and it's final. Uh, then at chapter uh, 6, verse 9, begin, that's the end of the visions. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me, take silver and gold from the exiles, and talks about it. Now, we, we've now switched into a different mode of the book because now we're back. We're not having a vision. He's actually going to go get gold from these people, and he's going to make a crown uh, for Joshua. It's going to be the, the crown for his head. Just like in that vision, I said, put a crown on his head. Remember, it gave him new clothes. Zachariah says, put a crown on his head. We're here. He's going to go out, and he's going to gather the gold and make a crown for the high priest's head not because he's honoring the man joshua but the man joshua is symbolic of something greater to come and what greater to come again you can see how the high priest has to have a pure heart because he's representing something greater than himself if he just starts thinking politically about the power and the prestige and how he's separated from the people he now honors himself well, now that puts him underneath that scroll of that curse. He's got, you know, uh, deception and false intentions. And so, again, there, this is not a bad thing to put a crown on Joshua, especially when you're honoring the position because the position is speaking of the Messiah who will come. So those are the eight visions and kind of a, a breakdown of those. And we'll start over here and start reading through those and bringing out more information about those uh, in, in the weeks to come. You any questions or thoughts that that makes sense i mean it, we, again there's many things to be said but that kind of tied that together quite a night for zachariah and i think you know some people would be critical of it you know uh, just dreams it's like i mean when you, for for myself you look at it, it all it's it's all perfect it's it's a perfect fit perfect puzzle piece it speaks to the people speaks to the situation it speaks of the future it's at the right place the right time the right words and especially if you look at what takes place at that time, they do build a temple. They do become a province of Judah that grows into a nation. So uh, I th obviously I think it's inspired in the word of God. I'll pray and we're free to go. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We ask that we again would honor it and allow your spirit to work and your word to work in our own lives just as it did in the lives of Zechariah and Joshua and Zerubbabel. We know also that we are called for a purpose here and we ask that you would continue to lead and guide each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your patience.